Hello everyone, this is Sonali Mangal and welcome to another episode of Learn, Educate, Discover. On this podcast, we invite people from different professions on each of our episodes and we ask them a range of questions to try and understand what their job is all about. The goal of this podcast is to try and educate our listeners about as many different kind of jobs as we can so that someone listening to the show can decide does a certain job sound interesting to them and if yes, how do they go about exploring it further. Now, today's episode is an in-between episode in that we won't be going into the details of a certain job per se, which is what we generally do in most of our episodes. What we will be talking about is how you can organize a great event in order to build your network. And this is really a great skill to develop because as I'm sure most of you are aware, a professional network is very, very key. Your network can help you in a number of ways, such as just learning about different opportunities. You might collaborate with people in your network to work on interesting projects, and you might meet other amazing people through your existing network. So your network can help you in a number of ways. And organizing an event is a great way to build your network because it helps you to connect with people that you want to connect with. And it's a great way to add value to the people who are coming for your event because they get to meet other amazing people. So again, great skill to develop. And our guest on today's show, who's going to help us understand how to do so, is Simon Kirk, who is the co-founder of a non-profit startup called Raised by Us, based in New York. Raised by Us has raised more than $700,000 for more than 100 charities till date, and they're on track to reach a million dollars in 2017. And as part of Raised by Us, Simon has closed relationships with some of the leading startups in New York, such as Birchbox and Foursquare and Shutterstock and many others. And Simon is also the Director of Business Development at Envision App, a leading design collaboration platform that is used by many well-known brands to design and test their products, such as Disney and Amazon and Netflix and again, many others. So today's discussion is going to be very, very interesting because Simon is really an expert in the art of throwing a great event to help build your network because he's been doing this for more than 10 years now and he's been able to connect with some amazing people through these events and as you'll find in my discussion with Simon he puts a lot of thought into how to organize these events so this is going to be a great episode for anyone who is interested in figuring out how you can organize a great event to build your network so I hope you enjoy it and without further ado let's welcome Simon. Hey, Simon. Hi, how are you? Good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, absolutely. Really looking forward to this discussion. And we'll go into a lot of details about how to organize a successful event. So I, I wanted to set this discussion up as, let's say you're someone who has never organized events before. So you're completely new to this, but you want to start out well and you, you're trying to do this to build your network. What are the things that this person should be thinking about? Sure, it sounds good. So... I've been organizing events for networking purposes for for quite a while. And I think I picked up some helpful tips along the way, so I'm very happy to share them. Um, I think that there are maybe three types of events that I've organized that could be useful. So one is a breakfast. Another one would be a more of a happy hour or cocktail or networking type of thing. And the last one would be more of a dinner. Um, so maybe we can dive into each of those. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, that sounds good. Great. And, and uh, you know, a note, I'm an extremely informal person. So these events, the type of events I tend 
into throw are very startup-y and, and casual. Uh, I may not be the best expert to help folks that are looking to put on you know, more formal or larger scale or conference type things. But mm-hmm. for someone who's happy to throw together a few highly created folks and help connect each other, uh, this, this should be helpful. Okay, awesome. So I think when you think about starting to organize events, one of the most important things is to choose a date. So, you know, if you're, you know, obviously you want to avoid major holidays and um, if you're organizing with others, you obviously need to coordinate that. So uh, once you have the date, uh, then uh, interestingly, you don't actually always need to have the venue yet. So if you're organizing a breakfast or a happy hour, you can actually do that later and kind of wait and see the kind of sizing. So the next thing I would do is start to work on your guest list. So um, before you do that, you might want to set up an account with one of the more with one of the events um, websites. So I used Eventbrite for a long time. You could use uh, Splash. Mm. Uh, splash that.com you can use envite n-v-i-t-e i I prefer eventbrite or splash and um you know you sign up for a new account and um you can then use that to manage your your event and all the invites and so on um uh, unless you're doing something super go ahead yeah so just a quick question right so you mentioned that uh before we get into all of these details the three kinds of events breakfast cocktails happy hours and then dinner uh, how do you choose which event to organize? Like which kind of event? Sure. So how do I choose? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how I choose which event to organize really depends on the type of objective. So if I am trying to do something larger scale to capture the most number of people and maybe not be as concerned as about specific conversations or uh, ma- managing quality something like a happy hour, a cocktail hour, that type of thing, where you have, say, 50 to 150 people is the way to go. Uh, they take more work, uh, more logistics involved a little bit because there's more people. Uh, if I want to do something a lot easier, more intimate, I will do a breakfast. Those are, you know, you just throw together an invite and the people. And somewhere in the middle would be a dinner. So the highest caliber, probably uh, the longest time commitment for people um, and middle of the road in terms of work um, is how I choose that one. Uh, but you can, so it also depends on the audience. You can probably get the, you know, most senior folks to either the breakfast or the dinners, but it might be hard to get them to turn out for uh, a happy hour yeah. or, or a networking thing. That, that's a lot harder to do to get those types of people out in volume. That's because it's in the middle of the day? No, it's just for whatever reason, just, uh, People seem to respond or it'd be easier to draw in or uh, be interested in joining more intimate stuff and maybe less interested in drawing, okay. uh, joining larger scale okay. or networking things. It can, it can be done if you're a major VC or, you know, a big name, you can make that happen, but it's a harder thing to pull off. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. So, so you gave, can you, can you share examples of the kind of events, like just to sort of illustrate how these different events are for different kinds of audiences. Can you share examples? Sure. So the breakfast for many years, I threw once a month. Uh, They were for about 12 to 15 people. Uh, I work in tech, so they were usually a mix of venture capitalists, founders, CEOs, and then other folks. Mm -hmm. And then those would be on, uh, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday morning, sometime once a month. Uh, here in New York City. Uh, and then the other ones, uh, the dinners I've been trying out more recently. 
and they tend to be for more senior folks, uh, so VPs and so on. And uh, those have definitely been great. And then the cocktail hours would be, you know, normally a Thursday night, maybe a Thursday or a Tuesday night. And those would be larger scale format, uh, open bar if we can get someone to sponsor it. And okay. that would be the, the range of sort of job title or seniority would be broader. I see. Okay, no, this is very, very helpful. And and you, you, you brought up a good point, if you can get someone to sponsor it. So for, for all of these events, uh, are you sort of bearing the cost being the host or someone sponsors it or everyone pays for their own whatever they're doing? Yeah, uh, I wish I could afford to pay for the food and drinks <laughs> of uh, hundreds of people. Unfortunately, I'm not at that stage. So I, I, for the happy hours, if we can, either people would pay, you know, their own drinks, or often we would get a, a company that was interested in reaching that audience to sponsor. So mm. actually, happy hours are not as expensive as you might think. So I always have been, have been able to hold them for 50 to 150 people, and you only need about a thousand dollars behind the bar. Uh, mm. for you know one to one and a half hour um, thing so if you can find a, a sponsor who's interested in having their logo on the invite um, a lot of small businesses or medium sized businesses will do that and you can just uh, take some networking but it can be done um, the breakfast I ask people to pay themselves so then um, the dinners have been usually through one of the companies I'm working at would you know be hosting those because they have a, a purpose gotcha okay 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 no this is very very helpful all right so so let's say you decide on a particular kind of event and so then you are going into choosing the date the venue the guest list so uh, do you do you usually start planning these events how much in advance one week two week a month i would do uh, if possible you want to be doing the happy hours about two months out or six weeks i can do them very last minute now but you know, ideally you want to, particularly if you're trying to get a high caliber audience, you want to be sending out that invite about a month in advance. Okay. Uh, if the dinner, if the dinner is for very senior folks, you could do no, uh, no shorter than two weeks and probably the same for the breakfast. Okay, uh, the I thing see. to know with, with all of these is to expect about a 30% drop off rate. Uh, so you want to, you want to be over inviting, over selling capacity by at least 30% uh, of any event. Okay. Uh, because people just don't show up for whatever reason. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good point. So if you want to get, let's say, twelve people, you should invite fifteen to sixteen, seventeen. Yeah, I, I typically for a fifteen-person breakfast, I'll invite twenty-five. Okay. And it's always hard to know and a little bit stressful, but you'll, you know, usually work it out. Okay. Okay. I see. All right. So you you choose a date basically on the basis of making sure that it's a con- it's a convenient day you are, you also listed some days that you find convenient for breakfast happy hours and for dinners venue so how do you decide the venue so for breakfast since i didn't want to foot the bill after a few years of being left with a bill accidentally by people forgetting to pay i have ended up choosing a, a particular venue in new york that where people actually have to go up to a counter and buy their own thing and bring it so I think it really depends on what you want and the kind of vibe. That is a super informal place, and people know that I'm a very informal person, so that works well for me. Okay. Uh, for uh, dinners, I tend to want a private because those tend to be really high-caliber audience and more fancy. Mm-hmm. I tend to want a private room, so you're you know you're going on Yelp, you're look, walking around trying to do um, uh, a private uh, you know any 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 venue that has a private room. So. I did one for my nonprofit raised by us, 
And we wanted to, as part of a, a charity we organized, we did one, we did a dinner with, you know, the CEOs of uh, Warby Parker and Betterman and Thrillist and BuzzFeed and all these different people. So I actually physically walked around and looked at different venues and saw what was comfortable, would be a good atmosphere. And then, you know, what their prices are for a set menu and all those types of details. And okay. then for the happy hours, um, you, if you can get a private space, that's better. And then you're looking for somewhere that's open to a single um, a single check, but uh, ideally, you should find somewhere that doesn't charge you a fee to host it. So some venues will charge you, but many will just not charge you, and they'll just give you the space because they like the fact you're driving traffic. Right, so right, I'm always right. looking for ones yeah. that, that won't charge. Although you know that's that's a very good point. That let's say when you're when you're right in the beginning, um, like do you do you give these people some sort of proof that I, I'm going to get X number of people to the bar? They may, they, uh, some bars, depending on how formal they are, they may make you sign a minimum. Uh, okay. So you have to look out for that. Um, by the way, one of the things, if I'm organizing a larger scale happy hour and I'm starting from the beginning, what I'll do is find other, and what I did for years when I was getting started was to find other co-organizers that were friends or you know, colleagues or whoever uh, that I felt like uh, were really great, really great people, but also had a great network of their own. And then, you know, for any of the happy hours, it would have maybe three to five co-organizers. And that meant that everyone uh, shared a responsibility to market it, which I made see. getting the word out easier. And That's then over good. time, you develop the list. And that list can live within the platform you're using, Eventbrite or Splash, uh, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then the next time you throw an event, you just click duplicate event. And you have the guest list right there. You can, uh, you know, right. Um, cut it down if you want to, but you basically, yeah. you're, you're just building a list over the time in the same way that email marketing works. Right, right, right. Yeah. You got to maintain your, build your email list that you keep inviting and keep growing over, over these subsequent events. Exactly. Yeah. So, so when you, so this is very helpful. So you decide the venue and you're actually physically uh, going to these venues to sort of check them out and see that they, the vibe is what you want. Um, and then coming to guest list. So this is really, this is really key. Before we get into you know, how do you even get access to these people? What are the things that you think about when thinking about a particular event and whom to invite? Depends on the the objective. So if it's a dinner and there is a, it's a, you know, something organized for a company I'm working at or a company that you're working at, it probably has a goal. So maybe you're looking to get into certain companies and then maybe, you know, maybe you want to find a host uh, who is someone you're trying to, cater to, you know, catch their interest by giving them an elevated role like a host. Um, so that could be for that, for the, you know, if, if you're trying to get to a particular vertical and make a splash. Um, so I, for example, once wanted to really make a good network in the agency world. So I just invited a bunch of agency people. So I think it really depends on what your objectives are. Hmm. And the, when you're starting out, you may not know these people yourself, right? So let's let's say that you're not organizing an event for your company because if you're if you're working at a large company, uh, you you can probably sort of use the name of the company to attract these people. Let's say you you're sort of doing something on your own. Um, how would you even attract these people? Yes, there's a bit of a skill to it. So the sequence of the, actually, not that much. <laughs> I don't want to say it. <laughs> yes, I shouldn't say a skill. Uh, th- there are some things you can do to help get off the ground. So firstly, I should say a lot of my events, I'm inviting people cold. So I am uh, a real LinkedIn nerd. So I spend a lot of time on there, like looking at different, looking up different people. And 
you can get, you know, I, I, it's worth getting LinkedIn professional if you, if you can afford it. Um, mm-hmm. And then, so I'm reaching out to a bunch of folks from great, and, and I'm normally making a spreadsheet um, and when I'm getting going of, you know, relevant people at the right level of seniority at these at, at interesting companies. Mm-hmm. And then I'll email them cold and I'll email, email a lot, like I'll email hundreds of people. And um, the first email is pretty generic. Uh, but when, but as over, over time, I, I don't consider the either the invite page or the invite uh, through the Eventbrite or whoever, or uh, the personal email to be a one-time effort. I consider it something I'm going to be updating all the time. So if I invite a bunch of people and Google and Uber, someone from Google or someone from Uber responds, for example, I'll then uh, update my invitation and say, and we have people coming from Google and Uber. And then as okay. more and more people come from these great companies, I'll pull out the most uh, well-recognized ones and I'll, and I'll you know, okay. sort of, <laughs> I guess, name drop those people yeah, yeah. so that other people uh, feel excited about who's coming and then you eventually it, it seems to always tend to a snowball effect from yeah. that point on so I would say getting started is the hardest part but once you have a, a, a little bit of momentum it's very easy after that so this is this is very very helpful so one you said that you spend a lot of time on LinkedIn and, and you're using LinkedIn in mails I guess to reach out to people um, no I just kind of guess their, <laughs> I just guess their email I'm just oh, using it okay. to Apple organizations with the relevant people that might be interesting. Interesting. Okay. So um, if if you see like Simon Kirk, you'll you'll email them at simon.kirk at gmail.com or simonkirk at gmail.com or whatever yeah, else. Or, other or variations. Work email. Or I'll use Reportive historically or now there's a good tool called Try Prospect Try Prospect that I know for myself work uh, that you can get people's emails from. Oh, uh, or you can just figure out okay. people's work emails. Um, what is it called? Try Prospect? Uh, yeah, try prospect. It's just a little startup, but it uh, it plugs into LinkedIn, and uh, well, for in the sales context, it also plugs into the sales force. Um, but that's one way. The other one is reported. Oh, interesting. Okay, so you're not using LinkedIn in mails. You're actually trying to you're trying to email them directly using these tools, and then one of them will yeah, hopefully okay. I am. I love LinkedIn, but I rarely use email myself. I see. Okay. And then you said that you maintain a spreadsheet. So let's say in the beginning, you email like the first round. So let's, let's, let's create a fictitious event on the fly, right? So let's say I want to network with other, um, I don't know, you, you, you pick an event theme. Uh, so it's the, well, why don't we start with a breakfast since that's the, that would be the smallest one okay. to get going. Uh, but, but actually Maybe that's a different use case to what you're thinking of. So, okay, how about a happy hour? We, we want to do a tech happy hour in, uh, in New York City okay. uh, for people in startups and VC. Okay. So how many people would you invite first? Uh, I would probably invite 50 to 100, uh, something like that, depending on, assuming that I want to get about 100 people there. Uh, and then I'd probably keep adding people on. I would not make the guest list public until, uh, well, firstly, I wouldn't, but I would, I would write to a few friends first before mm-hmm. I go public with it. And I'd ask them and I'd invite them and say, you know, I'm inviting you before I open this up. And then, and then that's going to make their names appear because people need social proof that other folks are going to these, yeah. these things. So yeah. if you, if you get some RSVPs and seed it before you open up, when you send out your blast, the first set of people, when they're clicking onto the invite page, they don't see something empty. Right, so I right. recommend doing that. Okay, that's and a very then, good point. Uh, and then I sometimes I'll even wait to invite my real VIP until way later than everyone else, so they see a really great guest 
with, uh, gotcha. and so they don't take the plunge. Gotcha. So, so and that's that, so on Eventbrite. So you've created your your event on Eventbrite, which shows the number of people who are going, and so you want that number to be a, mm-hmm. a certain number, a certain figure, before you start opening it up to everyone else. It, it actually, I set it to show the attendees' names, uh, okay. job titles, and. Uh, uh, companies got it so not just the number yeah uh, which, okay so you want which, that social proof okay all right and when yeah you, actually actually it's less about the number more about oh look at these really interesting people and interesting companies that I, I would love to yeah no that makes a lot of sense and the email that you send right so you mentioned that most of your most of your invitations are actually cold invitations so can you tell us what kind of what does that email look like what are the key things that you're mentioning in that email which you think have worked for you in the past. Yeah. And, and obviously they become less cold invitations over time, but in the yeah. scenario of someone, they get these cold, I think a lot of the time. Um, apart, well, so for me, I'm generally saying, yeah, I'm going to get a super informal uh, drinks for, you know, XYZ type people. After you've done one or two, you can say, and in the past we've had people from XYZ places. Um, and, you know, here's a link to the invite. And I'm trying to make the email. My email style tends to be, um, as as you as there is a theme going. I keep emphasizing very informal. So I want to feel like they're being written to by almost like a friend, you know, or acquaintance or someone like that, uh, as opposed to something more formal, very long. So I'll write it in very casual um, style, deliberately. Right. Okay. And do you introduce yourself in any way? Um, no. I actually don't. Now, oh, whether really? that's the wrong thing to do, I'm sure it may be, but uh, it has seemed to work for me where I just I just assume, just almost presumptuous that um, they can figure that out. Um, I think the point is they're not coming to the event because they want to meet me. I'm inconsequential. Um, they want to meet the other people. And so yeah. um, I'm more interested in sharing with them who are the other cool people that are going. Yeah, uh, and and that's what they're going to yeah. get excited about. Okay, yeah, and then the and the, I think the really interesting point you brought up is that as people start accepting, you start you keep updating your email invitation to reflect the people who have said yes, and that just makes it more powerful and more persuasive. Exactly. So if I'm doing a VC event, I will, you know, I'll add more and more VC names until the people who are getting the email towards the end, whether it's like the second or third email they're getting as a reminder, or they're people I've been deliberately holding off to invite. They all see this really long list, and the idea is to think everybody is going to this event. I've got to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So, uh, and and again, going back to the going back to the the, the sort of assumption here that you're starting right from scratch. This is your first event. How would you pick which people you choose to invite? So again, in this context, it's a startup VC event, but there are all kinds of VCs, right? So there's Andreessen Horowitz at the top. And then there are many, many other VCs. So how would you pick? So if there's people in your network, that's probably a good starting point. I think you obviously want to pick uh, very sociable, personable people um, so that, you know, you don't, you want to make sure everyone has a good experience. So not just uh, inviting, uh, you know, great. It has to, it has to, they have to have a good time in the end. So, mm. um, so if there's people in your network that you can see it with, uh, with maybe, you know, the first five invites, or five aren't guaranteed RSVPs, I'd probably go that way. Mm. And then from there, um, I wish I could say there's a science in the early days, but I think in the early days it really is you're just inviting a lot of people and you're you're inviting them in stages so you don't over-invite, which is actually very rare that you over-invite. 
usually the, the other yeah. way around is the problem. Yeah. And uh, basically, once you've been doing it for a little while, then you can be a bit more curated. And then the other things people have done in the past is, you know, they, you can ask people if they want to bring bring someone with them. Um, you know, bring everyone, bring one person. Okay. I haven't done that because I just personally like to know everybody there, so I can try and keep them. Yeah. Okay. All right. No, this is very, very helpful. So you, so going back to sort of the beginning where you mentioned the things that you look at. So there's the date, there's the venue, there's the guest list. Um, you set things up through Eventbrite. You're looking at LinkedIn to find people. What else do you look at? Um, so once the event is there, um, I guess what I was talking about in, in another scenario was uh, this the social engineering. Yeah. So if it's a dinner, if it's uh, if it's a dinner, or, well, if it's a breakfast, I don't I don't tend to do seating plans, but uh, hopefully I have either spent time with those people separately, or I have, um, or I already just kind of know them. And so if they don't find themselves seating uh, sitting next to someone that's relevant to them, or maybe can help them or help each other, I will then say at one point, hey, I'll you know, tap them on the shoulder. And, and say, hey, I love you to meet, you know, so and so. Can I, can I, do you mind if I swap, swap you around? Like that. Okay. So that's what I'll do at breakfast. At the um, happy hours, I actually physically walk people up to each other and say, you've got to meet, you know, so and so. He or she is amazing because of these things. You've got to, you know, you should chat. And then at the dinners, I'm very particular about seating plans. So uh, really thinking about who, from a professional and personal perspective, will get along. And I think, um, I think some people prefer to leave those dinners. Um, the chance where people sit, but just assuming that everyone in the room is great and, and that certainly works. Uh, I just, I guess I'm a bit more controlling. In that no, but this, this is a very, very good point, right? That you're, you're making a very, very active effort to make sure that everyone gets the, makes the most out of the event, at least to the extent that you can make that happen. So you're trying to figure out what is it that yeah. these different people need and making sure that they talk to as many people as possible who can potentially help them with that thing. Yes. Yeah. If you watch me, if you watch me at an event, I'm not necessarily having that great a time. Ironically, <laughs> yeah. I'm, and I'm not around. really having any in-depth in, in conversations. And like, yeah, this is not—it's not like the most fun thing for me because I kind of see it more as I'm helping these other people, and I'm not really going to have a. I, I even tell people, listen, this is not a great time to catch up. I would love to let's meet another time. Yeah. And so I see my main role as uh, you just—you'll see me like wandering around. <laughs> looking anxious and I'm constantly also checking out other people's body language. Like, do you see someone in the middle of the table that's got stuck that looks bored? I'll get, you know, how can I, and then I'll think, who can I be talking to? How can I pull them out? How can I make it, make it a better thing? Right. So I think the important thing to know with these events is, well, if, if you can pull it off so you also have a great time, amazing. In my mind, that's not the place where you're going to be having quality conversations. It's the place where you can help other people connect and get what they want to get out of it. No, but that, that's a very good point, right? Because I think that is the value that you're adding to these people. And that's what makes them stay in touch with you and keep on coming again and again for your events, because they know that if I go for Simon's event, I'm going to get a lot of value out of it. And you're making you're making sure that that happens. I mean, you're like a connector. Yeah, and I think they, I'm, connect, I'm connecting them. They, when they come to Simon's event, they're not really expecting to speak to Simon. They'll see me for a minute. And so they know that, that what they're going to get is hopefully... Uh, you know, I'll do my slightly awkward connecting with someone and they'll always laugh and joke about it and, and make a little fun of me, but, but, they, but they also usually tend to appreciate yeah. that they've got to be, be someone really cool that is relevant to them. Yeah. And so so the, my other follow-up question over there is that, especially when you're when you're inviting someone that you do not know beforehand, how do you know what 
areas do they need help in? Um, you don't always know that as a good question. So um, some, there's an element of taking the plunge when you're uh, inviting strangers. You don't know what their personalities are like, if they're very social, there's all kinds of stuff. Most of the time it works out. But, um, you know, I normally, if it's someone new, I'll make sure to go and greet them and learn a little bit about them um, and so on. And then uh, it may not be that I can help them, but at least in that scenario, maybe the better thing is you, you can introduce them to people uh, maybe not say, and they need this, but you could say at least they do this, this, and this, and they're great. Yeah. And okay. So in that in, in, in that scenario, it's more about just making their time there really um, easy because a lot of people are shy when they show up; they don't know anyone. So you can you can help that, that by introduce, like actively introducing people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, at, at least you can make sure that different people get to know what the other person does, and then hopefully that them get that'll get them to at least start talking to each other. Exactly. So. Yeah. Okay. So in your opinion, so b- before we go further, are there any other things that you do during the event apart from the social engineering, as you call it? Uh, well, there's always like name tags. Uh, I don't do those at breakfast or at uh, dinners, but uh, well, I do, I do place card things at dinners, um, but breakfast, not um, but name tags at, um, at drinks. The happy hours are really important. Mm. Uh, if you, there's this whole awkward thing of people having to look at people, other people's name tags and if the handwriting's not good or the writing's small, it's sort of not ideal. So if you can, uh, take the time to pre-print as many of them as possible. Mm. Uh, you'll need to leave some blank ones for people who are, you know, who show up last minute. Yeah. But if you can standardize all that format and put in, you know, the pe- people really want to know, if they're at a networking event for professional reasons, they really kind of want to know what company and what business are these people at. So, I mean, it, uh, you know, it's uh, a little superficial, but that's probably either that. Yeah, so if you yeah. can put that information on uh, clearly and do some of the work, uh, that, that's a good thing. Okay. Okay. So you put that information on that. Yeah. I was going to ask you what information do you put on the name tag? So typically you will put the name and maybe the name of their company and their title. Yeah, if you can. Yeah. And then if you're trying to find sponsors, that is a great thing to offer the sponsors. So, you know, they can have their logo on the thing and then everybody oh, yeah. is looking at everybody else will see the name of the sponsor. That's a good point. Okay. The other thing I... The, the other thing you might want to think about is uh, checking people in. So partly it's because you want to make sure that, you know, if you're hosting a happy hour or whatever, since you, can't, you don't have an unlimited budget, you want to make sure that people who are meant to be there are there. Uh, partly it's so, uh, particularly if you were doing this in professional context for marketing purposes and you want to do measure an ROI, you need to, you need to know who was there and then uh, mm-hmm. link it back. Okay. Yeah. Um, but the last reason I like to check people in is because, I can then uh, welcome people, and if I recognize someone who I want to talk to, out of you know the hundred, hundred people or so, uh, when I when I check them in, I can have a quick conversation with them. So, I if it's a happy hour, I, I always uh, try and have someone on the door, um, a friendly person on the door, uh, to welcome people. Okay, and you're checking people in through an app or or more like a sheet where they're like signing off. Yeah, either uh, depending on the service, mm. but either one works. Okay. All right. So if that's, those are the key things that you do during an event, do you do anything once the event is over? I think if I was, there are things that should be, that, that, you know, one should do. I don't necessarily do them, but, you know, uh, typically you want to send some kind of thank you. Uh, If there's a sponsor, you want to, you know, mention them and thank them again. You know, you probably want to thank them in the invite email, thank them on the event page and afterwards. 
there are, you know, if you were doing this for marketing purposes for a company, you might have some special offer or promotional code, but since that's mm. not the context in which I'm doing these, it's more for, uh, I don't tend to do too much until the next time one comes around. And then it's more about uh, reviewing the invite list and the previous one and seeing who you want the emails to go out to when you click, you know, duplicate invite list and send. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I mean, by now you must have organized, you said that you've been doing this for 10 years now, so you must have organized hundreds of events by now, right? So if you were to look back at all of these events, can you think about a time which was like very, um, I don't know, a time which was maybe embarrassing or weird or did not go down very well? Sure. Um, there was one, so I was doing the dinner, the breakfast for years, uh, month after month. And most, and every time, every time I would uh, have anxiety <laughs> night before and at the beginning of the breakfast, will people show up? Will people show up? Yeah. And uh, every, you know, 99% of the time, you know, I was anxious, 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 and then full, full table, great event, really happy. Mm. Um, what I noticed was there was one or two times where it went wrong. And I think what happens is if you send a reminder email out the night before, and you put everyone not in the BCC, but in the CC, so that, that someone sees that there's a lot of other people come. They then think in the morning when something comes up for work or family, well, there's all these other people going, uh, I don't need to, I don't need to go. Mm. And so there was actually one of the last times I did it, you know, when I, when I actually took a pause on doing the breakfast, you know, I think like two, three people showed up and I was expecting like 15. Oh, wow. And uh, okay. that was really, that was really embarrassing. Yeah. And thankfully the three people who showed up were, were all my friends. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, they're friends in, in, the tech, in the tech industry, so that was fine, and we had a nice time anyway. But um, you know, naturally, I was I was embarrassed. So um, yeah, it doesn't. Uh, I would majority of the time, it's fantastic, and those of people get great value. But it certainly can go wrong. Yeah, but I would say, I guess the silver lining is that at least the three who showed up were your friends, right? So at least, because if it was someone who wasn't your friend, then I mean, I don't know what what would you do? Just talk to them and try and make sure that they have a good time. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, I think there was, there, that may have happened one other time. There's only two times that it's really happened in dozens, but uh, that did happen one time. And I think they probably wondered, like, why am I coming to this yeah. networking event where there's no one to network with? So yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, not all, uh, it's not all roses. Okay. And so, and, and then on the good side, again, going, looking back over all of these events, what do you think have been, like, can you remember any highlights that you remember, some favorite moments? Yeah. Uh, so recently I've been doing these dinners in different cities. Um, and they've been, because I've been trying to get very quickly network into the senior levels of different industries. And I have been amazed by using a few different sort of dynamics, how the, how quickly you can get very senior people, how you can get a table of very senior people to spend two to three hours with you at a dinner uh, for not too much money for a couple of thousand dollars. Um, so, you know, heads of really large media technology companies have been coming to these things, which we just started as sort of an experiment. And um, they can get, they can take you from, you know, this is a person, I know no one in this city and in this industry, to suddenly like, you know, all the major players. And unlike, uh, you know, you may try in a business context, if there's someone you really want to meet, you may try for months or years to try and get on their calendar and maybe, maybe just maybe they'll give you 20, 30 minutes. And what I found is the great, the great useful part of these dinners is people are really off guard and they're there, you know, they have some wine and so on. 
they're there for two, three hours. And really you get some amazing quality time to bond with them and then business life becomes so much easier. So um, I would say recently I've been really uh, surprised and delighted by what you can do with sort of a high caliber dinner. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, if you can get two to three hours with these people, um, I'm sure there's a lot that you learn, right? So, which which is just sort of unparalleled as opposed to like re- just reading things and listening to things. Yeah. What would you say are the key characteristics of your most successful events? Uh, high, probably high attendance uh, relative to RSVPs. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you, you, want the, you want the place to feel full or even too full. Uh, usually. So uh, if it's a happy hour, uh, you know, really, really like, uh, wow, this is packed. Because, uh, you find as an organizer, I, I find at least that people report back to you. They're like, wow, great attendance or like good turnout. And that normally, that normally means not good turnout. But if you, if people feel like it's so packed, they can't get in or just below that level. Um, that's good. Uh, that's one characteristic. And then the caliber and atmosphere, well, the caliber of the people, mm-hmm. uh, depending on what you're looking for. And then for me, it's a little bit about atmosphere. So I want something super informal. Um, and then uh, if the, the atmosphere is where people are sort of very social and outgoing and really willing to help or, or to listen and engage mm-hmm. with each other. Yeah. Do you do anything special to make sure that that atmosphere is that casual, informal, very social? Uh, it might be more about what I don't do. So I don't do speeches. Um, I just don't do a lot of the formal formal trimmings that you, you might expect in some of these things, and that just works for me. What I'm what I'm trying to achieve. Um, so, um, yeah, I would say that. Yeah, and I think it's also the kind of crowd you're 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 inviting. And I think I think a lot of these things, the atmosphere is set by the host. So, or at least that's been my experience. So, if the host is someone who is pretty informal and casual himself or herself, and going out of their way to just make sure that everyone is having a good time and talking to each other, that just sort of becomes that just sort of translates to everyone. I, I don't know if that's been your experience. Yeah. No, I, I think that's right. Definitely, definitely at the smaller events, and probably to some extent at the larger events. But you know, if you're hosting something with ten to twenty people, your the, the tone that you set. Is, is going to set the tone. So at the dinners, for example, try not, I, you know, some people prefer to have a very much uh, a, a discussion and maybe they like everyone at the table to be involved in a single discussion. Happens to not be my style because I would rather people were allowed to, you know, break off and talk and do whatever. So I don't try and create any of that. I just, if I say anything, it will be, you know, a brief introduction and a thanks. And by by I mean like sixty seconds or less. And otherwise, I let people do what they like, and I'll I'd rather whisper in their ear. You should meet this person and, and do it that way. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. No, th- yeah. th- this was this was very very helpful, Simon. Thank you so much. Uh, honestly, I My mean, uh, I I don't think I've ever thought in so much detail about organizing events, but I should start thinking. So thank you. Is is there anything else that you would like yeah. to cover? Um, no, I think they are um, they get easier over time. Uh, they are deceptively simple, but you do need to be careful. You need to care about all the tiny details. Uh, you need to remember that you're not you're not really there to have fun, which is a really thing to say. Yeah. And um, and it's all about the, you know the guests and what they want. And I think so. My greatest, I know an event is successful if I see a bunch of people who've never met each other engage in and laughing and, and, and having a deep conversation. That's what it looks like. If I 
sit at the end of the table that I'm organizing. I'm not talking to anyone. I'm there. Everyone's deeply engaged. That is, that is. Yeah. No, definitely. Okay. Thanks a lot, Simon. And enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you so much. Yep. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, so that was Simon on how you can organize great events to build your network. And I hope you found the episode helpful and took a lot away from it. And now you can maybe start organizing your own events to start building your own network. Of course, if you have any questions at all for Simon or for me, you can email us at hello at learneducatediscover.com. If you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did, you should subscribe to the podcast. Simply search for Learn, Educate, Discover on iTunes or SoundCloud or Stitcher or whatever your favorite player of choice is. Search for Learn, Educate, Discover and hit subscribe. Or you can go to our website at www.learneducatediscover.com where you'll find a list of all the past episodes, helpful resources, and you can also subscribe for our monthly newsletter. You can tweet at us at LED underscore curator and find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash learn, educate, discover. So that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening and for your time. And until the next one, bye-bye.